1: Hello, everyone. Welcome to the afternoon here on AusBiz. 60 minutes of the call. Ten stocks that uh, you've sent through, i put it to an expert panel, and it's fast and furious. A lot of fun, and we also have a stock of the day. Let's welcome our panel for this Wednesday, the 1st of December. Uh, Claude Walker from a Rich Life. Claude, how are you, sir?
0: I'm well, thanks, David. Good. Uh, good to be getting towards the end of the year.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And Carl Kapelinga from the uh, Federal Republic of WA joins us uh, (laughs) from the Think Markets office there. How are you, Carl? How's beautiful,
2: WA? That's right. Yeah, no, it is beautiful over here, Koshi. And, uh, yeah, look, um, good morning over here, I should say. And good afternoon over there. And no plans to, to change anything anytime soon, I would I would suggest. <laughs> I think we're pretty happy over here. Um, happy December also, by the way.
1: Yes, exactly right. All right. Uh, let's get uh, stuck into it with a, uh, a stock of the day. I thought I'd kick things off and uh, shine a spotlight on Collins Foods. Shares touched a record high in yesterday's session after company wrote uh reported really strong results uh, net profit sorry over 60% um, with an uh, 8% spike in revenue looking ahead the company saying it remains on track to open up uh, 24 new KFC restaurants in uh, 2022 drew malley telling ospers yesterday he's excited about the year ahead
2: we're excited about our growth prospects. We've got um, you know, continual growth in KFC Australia. We expect to build 9 to 12 stores this year, and we think that's sustainable for the next few years. And Europe, with the corporate franchise agreement we signed with Yum, we now effectively will be running the market for KFC. That gives us a lot of opportunity to develop the pipeline, as well as to make sure that the brand fundamentals are in place from a marketing perspective. And you add on top of that, you know, long term growth prospects like Taco Bell. And we just think we've got a really good future, um, even with all the short term uncertainties around COVID.
1: Like a lo- lot of food companies um, during lockdown, uh, really perform terrifically well, but a lot of those food companies have come down to earth a bit, except Collins Foods, uh, pushed along by KFC. Um, Claude, what did you think of the result and and the stock itself?
0: Well, I thought the result was pretty good, actually. Funnily enough, if we rewind the clock, you know, almost two years now, I actually thought that uh, Collins Food would do quite badly in COVID. But, you know, the opposite's been true. It barely even needed any job seeker, I mean, sorry, job keeper, and you know, it still managed to keep growing, and and it's got a record uh, result, uh, I think, in the half year. So the result itself was good, and this seems to be a well-run, um, long-term uh, business. So it's over fifty years old, if I if I recall correctly. And I think that the original founder, Jim Collins, actually signed a deal for um, you know KFC franchises with actual Colonel Sanders back uh, back <laughs> in the day. So. You know i think this is probably a business that's that's been around for a while and it's going to be around for a lot longer so for the for the right price it could definitely be an attractive one to buy and but what you've got to remember is that uh, um, you know they're really talking about europe as being their growth engine uh, at the moment and part of the reason that growth will be slower in australia is because australia is actually one of the countries with the most kfc sort of per. Per capita in the world, like it's very well penetrated. Now they could still go higher than that because McDonald's has more. So you know you could say that they could, they've still got room for growth in Australia, but there's not going to be really massive growth uh, through rolling out more stores, in my opinion. And uh, so that leaves it to the European business, which is a quite a bit smaller, about one fifth of the size. So even if it is growing quick quickly, that means that doesn't mean that the overall growth of the company will be particularly high. And that's where you run into a little bit of uh, a trouble, I guess, in the sense uh, that it's on about a uh, P of about 31 off the top of my head. And also uh, we only have a dividend yield of 1.7%. And this is probably the kind of business where I would want to have a higher dividend yield than that, because it's not disruptive mm. business. Um, it's just a, it's just a decent business well run with corporate backing and good brands. So, you know, I want a higher yield basically. So for me, this one would probably be, uh, probably. be you know, not
1: be very attractive. Okay, uh, Carl, um, what do you think? Are they at the stage where Domino's was a few years ago before it took off in Japan and Europe, and could it could it follow that?
2: Oh, look, yeah, I'm, I'm not sure. if... Yeah, I mean, I think Domino's had a better spread, uh, geographical spread. I think maybe do Collins now, is a yeah. little bit more concentrated. Yeah, yeah. but um, look, no doubt Europe uh, is. From yesterday's results, Europe is, is a key growth area for them. I don't think the the Australian market would do too bad. I think for investors um, and and analysts, I hear a lot of analysts say, oh, you know, they kind of don't get KFC or or, or it's hard for them to call it a buy because that they, they never eat it at KFC restaurants. Hey, I don't eat there either. Um, I think I've taken what? my kids there once in their in, in, in their entire oh, lives. Goshie.
1: I love the KFC. Visit, um, <laughs> love <laughs>
2: to, the fries.
1: It's fabulous. Yeah, well, you know,
2: they they and that's also kind of the point.
1: They also support great football clubs as well, so that makes it more <laughs> entic- even more enticing for me.
2: Uh, looks the like I've stepped out. on a bit of a, a bit of a nerve, a bit of a nerve there. But uh, no, look, <laughs> the point is that lots of people love it, and that's my point. And uh, you know, get, if you can get past, uh, obviously, you might not, uh, it might not be to your taste. Uh, look, it's a very popular brand, as Claude says. Uh, you know, a very reliable brand. You know, they've consistently grown their revenues for uh, the, the last five years that I can see in my platform, and probably before that and with all uh, except for a tiny blip have grown their earnings as well over the last five years Uh, and most importantly did it through a pandemic so how about that so I think it is a good self-managed super fund defensive sleep at night stock so remember I keep talking about finding the right stock for the right investor and that's the type of investor I think would be more suited to this one however having said that after the big pop-up in the share price yesterday it is basically at our fair value target so I don't know if if you remember uh, a couple of times ago I was on the show back in August um, it came up I called it a buy uh, it was around 11 we had a target around here it's achieved that target so the best I can do as a result of that is a hold Uh, we'll go back we'll have a deep dive on the numbers and we'll decide whether we want to increase that price target in the meantime I think you can buy the dip so if it comes back into sort of 1350 just looking at the chart that's where the support's going to be and it just gives you that few extra percent of upside back to our fair value target and you know about a two percent fully frank yield is not awful either Um, so total shareholder return is probably worth it down there so it's just a hold for me um, based upon yeah okay. we've had a buy on it for about 18 months uh, hold for now and uh, i might update down the track on whether we continue okay. to buy
1: all right let's get into the stocks that you sent in alex claude wants a view on drop sweep the uh the software platform that many people use to uh, back up their data uh they just raised what another 20 million dollars for a placement over the last couple of weeks uh what do you think of drop
0: Well, DropSuite, it's a a very interesting one to come up. And I I have watched it for a few years now. And I have to say a a few years ago, I thought it was a pretty weak, um, weak business because it had a few uh, smaller number of reseller partners who were extremely important to it. And I think that they'd actually back a few years ago ran into some trouble uh, with, you know, losing some resellers or something like that. Don't quote me on that. But I definitely think that's a weakness. However, the company has been improving on that weakness and reports, you know, each each time, each quarter, it reports the percentage of its top 10 um, reseller partners. And that's going down. So I think that's a, uh, a around 65% at the moment. Uh, what it So what it's actually doing here is it's focused on providing email backup and archiving for Office 365 um, and also... Uh, you know, in the future, Google workspace, the way it kind of goes to market is through partners are uh, mostly reselling its actual product. So sometimes that might even be bundled in with like a managed service provider might be setting up a, a company with Office 365. And, you know, ideally for uh, DropSuite, that their product is kind of just bundled in and the, and the customer never really even knows that they're paying extra for it. Now there's, you know, pros and cons to that. But, you know, basically the selling point here is that you know, the, the vanilla Office 365 offering won't have uh, the kind of email archiving and backup that might be required. So, you know, in the event of some, you know, ransomware or, or, or sort of cyber disaster, the managed service providers have a responsibility oftentimes to ensure that there is some kind of backup. So that's the incentive for them to like put that in the package. So uh, that that's the business. The actual recurring revenue has been growing quite strongly. But what you have to remember is that they have quite considerable uh, hosting costs. So it's not like just the, a pure you know, software company where they're getting 90% margins. I think they're close to about 65% margins. So, you know, overall, I don't think that given that uh, it has a few weaknesses in the business model, uh, at the moment, it's trading on around 12 times annualized recurring revenue. Now, its growth, generally speaking, you would say definitely justifies that. But I'm saying that the weakness in the business model mm. is probably why I don't know if it's ever going to really trade it at 20 times ARR. So it might be a little bit more on the full pricing at the moment, given where we are with rates potentially going up and, and given these guys have only just made the narrowest of all operating uh, positive cash flow. Um, There's still a fairly high risk situation. They've done well. They've raised 20 million at 21 cents, but... I would say just with the share price where it is right now, with the macro where it is right now, it's not very attractive to me. But I was really glad to like have a look at it with this question because I'm definitely putting on my watch list now. It's definitely Mm. something that I would be interested in buying at closer to maybe seven or five times annualized recurring revenue.
1: Okay, interesting. Um, Carl?
2: Yeah, look, I... I think Claude's really, really nailed the explanation of this stock. I'm not sure if I can add a whole lot to it. I agree that, I mean, on, on paper, um, there's some great growth in there. They've just gone operating cash flow positive, which is, you know, just a great tick for these small businesses. Um, it, it, it's that sort of, you know, that, that, that key paradigm shift often for a business where they start to fund their own growth. Uh, and that's really important. So, look, probably, a, a, you know, an FY or two away from uh, making actual profits, the um, great they did that, that placement, at $0.21, maybe that puts a floor under the price. But I just think, yeah, it's about reward and risk and, and balance. You know, we've actually got a fair value target of $0. $0.31 for this. So that's potentially mm. 39% upside. But it's, you know, it's about uh, how much risk you want to take to get there. So, look, I think it's a long, you know, long-term speculative buy. It's a risk money bet only. Um, but, again, if you're that sort of yeah self-managed super fund, sleep at night factor shareholder, um, you're probably not going here. So, look, it's a hold it if you've got it, uh, and I'm going to go, you know, long-term speculative buy if you don't, okay. because there is some really nice growth in the business, and I don't think it's all that expensive around this this price. All
1: right. Um, David Carr wants a view on GUD Holdings, the big automotive parts, particularly uh, uh, pumps for, for cars, water pumps, spas, uh, swimming pools that sort of thing uh, recently in the last week or so um, acquired auto pacific group which is a big sort of famous for its tow bars apparently uh, 740 million dollars doing a 500 million 405 million dollar equity raise to fund it um carl what do you think of gud
2: Look, I think it's one of those self-managed, super fun, boring sort of more um, sleep-at-night stocks. And uh, so horses for courses. And, yeah, look, it's their fourth acquisition, I think, of the last 18 months. Um, I think it's a, it's a fairly good one. Uh, Vision uh, Lighting was their last one, so they do the sort of the big lights on your 4 x 4s But, yeah, bull bars, tow bars. Um, but your other just bread-and-butter automotive parts as well, so oil filters, clutches, disc brakes, stuff that pandemic or no pandemic you're going okay. to need. So, so there are sort of a Arb aren't they? Yeah, well, an arb uh, crossed with maybe a sort of a uh, what's the other big parts? Is it back core no, yeah. at the yeah. moment. Yeah. yeah, that's right. Yeah, there was bursting. So, um, it, yeah, kind of in between. Um, so, you know, it's got some nice sort of uh, discretionary spend potential. You want to go pimp up your, your four by four. I know a lot of the, the younger generation is doing that, and it's got that um, sort of uh, pandemic proof, you know, you're still going to need to fix your car sort of thing. Um, Davy Pump's not doing that bad, about sort of 5% year-on-year growth. Um, we think, uh, just looking at the growth number we put in this one, uh, about 6 to six to 7% for the next three to five years. So, hey, you know, it's not 6 to 70%. It's not shooting the lights out, uh, but I think it's got a, uh, just checking my notes again, 4.7% fully franked dividend yield. Uh, we've got a fair value target of uh, 12 dollars so it's about 7 or 8% upside. I think it's down actually a little bit today, so it might even yeah. be closer to 10% with, with a 5% yield. Uh, the chart's not not bad, um, not shooting the lights out either, but it's probably one of those ones. Again, long-term, self-managed super fund, sleep at night, total shareholder return is probably going to beat the market. Happy to buy it here on that basis, uh, not for the growth investor. OK. All
1: right, Carl. Um, Claude, rather, what do you think of GED? Well,
0: well, well, I'll have to say I'm actually going to be uh, deploying capital in my self-managed super fund next year, and I'm not sure that I will be going for these uh, <laughs> more uh, vanilla stocks. I think I'll be... Uh, Going for the growth thing, I think the SMSF thing does depend on how old you are uh, massively. Um, you know, Obviously, if you're younger, you can afford to take longer term bets. Like, having said that, I agree with the sentiment completely that Carl just expressed in terms of maybe for an older investor that's looking for a dividend yield. That's why you'd be interested in this one, right? If we look at that five-year chart, we can see that the share price really hasn't gone anywhere in about five years. We can also see from their recent corporate <laughs> actions that they're most interested in growing via acquisition now because acquisition you know has an acquisition cost which is usually satisfied through you know issuing more shares or taking on debt you just especially when you're going to be issuing shares constantly you're never going to get like a massive um, you know share price amazing life changing performance like if if you know a lot of uh, you know the boomers love to talk about uh, something like CSL. Well, that stock was buying back shares for, for you know, a huge portion of its, um, you know, very successful run. And if you're going to go for the real capital gains, the real winners, you want to be looking at that kind of business, not the ones that are issuing shares and paying out dividends. So, um, you know, it's, it depends what you're looking for. It could make sense as a dividend stock. I think that basically the longer term risk that you have to worry about is that, All of these aftermarket parts and all of these, uh, especially the stuff that goes sort of inside the car, like the filters and all those kind of things, you know, is there a very long-term tailwind if we go more to EVs? There's just one risk to think about. It's not something that I'd say would be near-term, but if you did have it sitting in the super fund for your dividend, you definitely want to keep an eye on that and, and revisit it in five years when we start seeing higher levels of EV penetration, but for me, you know, I would say you know, to take a leaf out of Carl's book, I agree it's probably a buy for, you know, in the right circumstance for, for, the, for a dividend investor. But for me, you know, it's not very attractive enough and, I, and I'd prefer just keep my money in the bank and, and wait until I find something really good to buy.
1: Okay, let's go from car pumps to undies. And Patrick wants <laughs> a view on step one clothing. Uh, recently IPO'd at $1.53. They sell a range of uh, bamboo sort of cotton underwear. Um, they used to sell direct to uh, to the public. Any sort of early watcher of Sunrise would know these undies because they they used to advertise probably between five thirty and six thirty on uh, Sunrise every morning. Uh, Greg Taylor was the founder. Made up made hundred and fifty million bucks out of the float recently. It's uh, incredible. And basically. Um, it is a direct to the to consumer service, and the bamboo fibre doesn't mean you get sweaty downstairs. And apparently, it's really <laughs> touched a. Oh, anyhow, why go there? I don't see I was going to say. <laughs> what's, a touch, what's a touching? What's a
2: touching? What's a touching? Yeah, yeah, guys, yeah, yeah
1: please, re, Really touched <laughs> a nerve uh, with, with a lot of blokes, and has uh, done pretty well. Um, Claude, what do you think of uh, Step One Clothing?
0: Uh, I think it's. I think it's definitely very interesting. So, um, you know, the bamboo uh, underpants are definitely uh, the way to go. Although these guys aren't the only bamboo underpants around. Uh, I th- I had a good check out of the website uh today to, before we came on the show, and I uh, look. I even bought some just to try it out. But I have to say, you know, I think that it's very it's very slick marketing. Like it looks like a Shopify store to me. So it it looks like someone's just had. You know a, a great idea they've done really they've done really good marketing you know if they're going at the 5:30 advertising they're definitely trying to get in with that trading market and then once you hop yep. on the website it's all like oh buy buy one um pair or get a discount on buy five or ten or whatever and i can totally see how that would probably resonate with a lot of guys if they found that you know they did like these ones and they're comfortable I could see a lot of guys just like, all right. And then they're going to probably get, and now I'm probably going to get, you know, emails saying me, Oh buy more underpants, buy more underpants. <laughs> I could definitely understand, you know, these guys sort of getting accidental brand loyalty just through like making it easy for people to buy it. And of course that depends if they are buying their own underpants because, um, you know, a lot of, uh, uh, times, you know, the someone's wife or, or girlfriend does, does that kind of clothes shopping. So yeah, I think it's a cool, it's a cool idea. It's a cool marketing thing, but, you know, at the same time, uh, we've, we've got to kind of look at the fact that, uh, you know, they're forecasting a pro forma profit of about uh, $10.5 uh, million for FY2022, but the market cap after this massive IPO stag profit, like, I think it went up strongly. Now, So, so now it's trading on around almost 50 times earnings for, wow. you know, and yeah, so it jumped up from $1.53 where it listed and then it just traded immediately super high there and so it's now on about 50 times earnings for you know an underpants store and, and i think that they do a real slick job and with the marketing i thought it was very funny that um you know one of their selling points was that being surrounded by the pouch will lift and provide an illusion of being bigger so i wonder how much that um getting people to buy it but uh overall no i wouldn't be buying a uh clothing retailer on 50 times earnings personally yeah. but Sometimes that's just mostly because I don't back myself to pick these retail trends. If you think these are going to be a massive trend and we're all going to be, you know, it's going to be really normal to just buy packs of undies online in the future, then maybe it's a good buy. But for me, it's a bit too expensive.
1: Uh, Carl, what do you think?
2: Mm, How do I follow that up, follow that up, making, making it look bigger downstairs. Uh, I didn't I didn't know that was one of the marketing ploys. Uh, it's about, uh, so 60-40 split between uh, men buying these underwear and women buying underwear for their men. Um, so, you know, I think um, the the marketing's been very, very effective, hasn't it, at um, getting both sexes in to investigate this product and not just investigate, but stick with it. And uh, there is a bit of a sort of a cult following for it in terms of, um, you know, the, the, the people who buy these things asking for new colours and and things like that but um, a little bit concerning is that it is a little bit of a one trick pony now I know they're trying to diversify into sort of um, women's underwear and they've got a couple of variations on the theme but it is you know pretty much comfy dax right so uh, that's that's a bit of an issue for me Um, barriers to entry um, you know bonds whoever you know I don't think are are all that high Having said that, there is some great growth in the business. They've done really well through a pandemic because, let's face it, it's probably a pandemic-proof purchase here. Uh, They do get people to the website then they keep hitting you with um, offers to continue to buy more. So, again, one of those things that maybe I'm not the uh, customer or the target audience, but I can see um, some of the benefits uh, potentially in potentially owning the business, two potentials in their Koshi, uh, because Claude's right. Look, it is uh, for for what it is. It is uh, pretty expensive here. 65 times FY21 earnings. He was right. It's about 50 times FY22 earnings, which is what they've uh, forecast in the prospectus. With the growth, it does drop to 28 times FY24 and 20 times FY25. And he said, "Babe, 20 times." A PE for a growth stock sounds pretty reasonable, but that's at FY25. So you've got all that execution right. risk and all that uncertainty before you get there. And that's what I have to point yep. out here on this stock. And from a risk-reward basis, I'm not sure it's worth it. There's not much of a chart. Hey, I'm a technical analyst. I've got less than a month's worth of data, so I can't really yep. do any work there. And without the technicals to back up my fundamental view, I could never get to a buy on okay. this. Sorry.
1: All right. Uh, Kim wants to view um, a Carlon Superloop, the broadband provider. Uh, provides uh, fibre optic cabling for, for broadband, recently sold off its Asian assets for $140 million. What do you think of Superloop?
2: Yeah, it got a bit of a bump on that. That was back in October from memory. It was uh, just again talking about the technicals here and quite a significant downtrend uh, at that point. And it did arrest some of that downtrend. So that chart there um, probably doesn't show the bigger downtrend, but does show the bounce. Uh, it's pulled back a little since there, seems to be steadying now. I'm not sure if that's a great reason um, to, to buy the stock because they've got a one-off event like that where they sell something for more than they expected. Uh, as you say, it is an internet service provider amongst uh, some other sort of uh, more B2B offerings as well, but it is a competitive space. There's not a, a, a great deal of, uh, you can't really uh, create a great point of difference, I think, in the space of whether you're competing against, uh, you know, Telstra, Optus, Vodafone, Vocus, uh, et cetera. I mean, Aussie Broadband's another one in there that has created a bit of a point of difference. I'm not sure if Superloop's going to be able to do that. They do have some great customer ratings, of course, but, you know, whether whether that's going to be the thing that um, that gives them the growth they'll need to justify it. Their valuation, and that's the key um, sort of sticky point for me. We're trading at uh, uh, 500. It's not going to actually make a profit until FY24, and it's trading around 500 times that year's earnings. So you've got the execution risk until you get there, and then you're still at 500 times earnings. Mm. Uh, it's still mid hundreds by FY25, and that's so far away. So, uh, look, I think on on the basis of the um, of the of the of the, of the, the this the valuation is too hard. The chart's not uh, not good enough yet. Uh, I'm going to call it a pass. Um, maybe there's enough in it to call it a
0: hold if you've got it. Claude? Yeah, so I actually thought uh, Superloot... So Superloot has been a a real disaster of a telco, really, in the last few years. If we look at that long-term chart, we can see it's all been downhill. And that's largely because they've been spending, investing and building out a a network, which includes a lot of physical assets. So, um, you know, uh, uh, microwave towers for... for, uh, you know, internet over the air plus um, undersea cables. They own one and they've had assets here in Singapore and Hong Kong. And basically it's just been terribly uh, disappointing because the returns just haven't come quick enough with all that sending spending. So then what they've done in the last year or so, uh, they have sort of pivoted their uh, strategy a little bit. They're keeping a lot of those uh, assets, but they're also gone into, you know, being a retail ISP and then they've bought Exatel, which is a sort of lower cost, um, but still quite good uh, independent ISP. And they've got their own one, Superloop, as well. And what they've done is they've you know, transitioned that uh, Exitel traffic over onto their networks, their existing networks. So that basically, I think, was supposed to generate, uh, maybe it was 5 million, uh, but a certain amount of synergies there. Now, uh, basically... You've got a situation where they've also then got rid of those assets, those uh, some of those physical assets in Hong Kong, in Singapore, which they weren't getting a good return on, but they've actually been able yeah. to sell them now for more than they spent on them, more than the book value mm-hmm. anyway. So that actually indicates that they were probably investing reasonably wisely all along, but it's just that the expectations of the returns were way higher than what they turned out at. So I don't own Superloop. but. I'm, I really kind of find this interesting compared to, uh, say, Aussie broadband or whatever. So Superloop's a much smaller company. It has about a five. So after this transaction goes through, because it hasn't got paid yet, that should allow it to extinguish its debt. So it'll be net cash. It'll have an EV of around 550 million at current prices. And if we just look out to a sort of re- reasonable conservative estimate of um, EBITDA in FY23, based on their guidance, but also taking into for FY22 but taking and taking into account my more conservative estimate plus um, consensus estimates, which are a bit higher. I still have this on somewhere like 15 uh, to 18 times EV for uh, EV a bit to for FY23. And look, you know, analysts think they'll make a profit after that. It might take a little bit longer than that, but, you know, at the moment, uh, Aussie Broadband's really popular. It's growing fast. It has a great brand. But I asked, you know, Twitter today, you know, to help me out. Why is it that Aussie Broadband's growing so much quicker? And look, it seems to me that it is mostly about reputation. Probably Superloop yeah. and Exitel actually offer similar, especially Exetel now, you know, offer similar level of service. They're going to compete in that, but it's looking like the expectations of their growth is so much lower. And I just wonder if there's maybe. Some potential for Superloop to actually mm, surprise people okay. to the upside, and that's why I actually quite like this. And I will, I, even though I don't own myself, I will call this a buy because if it's mm. if it's trading at around current prices next year, or even below, ideally, I could definitely see myself buying some of this one in my SMSF just for the long term. Okay,
1: all right. Uh, Aussie Broadband, of course, rates really highly in all those customer satisfaction surveys and things like that they've got great marketing um and before we go to our next stop uh, barriers to entry carl you talked about for step one uh clothing um uh, alan garden from coolangatta is watching at the moment says he buys his bamboo undies for a fraction of the price on aliexpress so just to back up what you're saying there all right yeah. and thank you alan for uh sending us through your thoughts on the bamboo undies uh, that's what we love here on the call, um, that interaction. Uh, next, uh, Faye wants a view, Claude, on SiteMinder. Of course, another recent IPO um, was spun out of Bailador, um, was one of the big shareholders of it. What do you think of, uh, uh, of uh, SiteMinder? IPO'd at 5 dollars six? It's a big um, uh, hotel commerce platform.
0: Yeah. So, you know, I think that their main selling point is, you know, they're the software that a hotel can use to um, sort of manage their booking, their booking engine, set their prices, get the, that inventory out to all the various sites yeah, that but- hotels now have to sort of list, list on. And I guess the first thing that I would note when I look at this, because it is a recent IPO is I would just really, it stood out to me how of the $627 million of of the of the ipo offer 537 was payments to selling shareholders so this is well and truly an exit event right so if i'm going to be buying now i'm really betting that i'm smarter than the guy that's owned this business for 5 10 years or however long before it was listed and i'm completely new to it so as a basic uh just the level of being realistic with myself, I definitely don't think that that's a smart bet that that's, right. that's like betting against someone that has way better access to information. Now, the other thing you've got to remember is that, you know, these guys, uh, in FY 2019, they've, they've barely grown since then. Now, yes, that's partly due to the pandemic, of course, and, and that, that, what must be what people are thinking if they're paying 12.5 times revenue, because this is mm-hmm. still a revenue kind of stock in the sense that it's losing money. So it doesn't make a profit. But yet also the revenues not growing, and it's at 12.5 times and all of the insiders are selling, they all are warning signs Hmm. to me that I would not buy. On the other hand, the actual business model, 80 something percent recurring revenue software business model, um, you know, reasonably high 75 to 80% gross margins, it looks like it should be a decent quality business in some ways. But there's just too many warning signs to me. And I would definitely be, I would think I'd be selling it, to be quite honest. But I could be wrong. And long term, it may turn out well, but don't like it right now.
1: Yeah.
2: Carl, some good points from Claude there. No, you know, all, all good points, all valid points. And he, it could be right about uh, in the short term, there might be some downside in the price. It's not uncommon for IPOs that are well priced to, um, you know, to slip that, that uh, issue price and go a little bit lower before they eventually find a base. You Know there's a bit of track, a bit of a track record with the business that the market can see that visibility increases. Uh, the market likes a the story, they get involved, and then you know, six, 12 months, 18 months down the track, it does push off. And that could be the case with this one. I think there's a really exciting business there. And putting aside, you know, uh, obviously the vendors, um, they need to make some money too, Koshy. I mean, they've got uh, new, new boats they need to pay for, and new, you know, new Bentleys and things <laughs> like that. Which, uh, let's let's face it. Um, as the value of their business increasing and is becoming more successful, you know, their costs are going up as well, right? In the anticipation that there will be this exit event. So let's not begrudge them uh, a little bit of profit for coming up with what is ultimately a fantastic idea. And you've got your sort of small to mid-sized hotels, which are, you know, often doing things in in ledger books. If you've uh, been through Europe and some of those small towns, you're still still a lot of handwriting uh, going on, uh, bringing them into the modern age where you can track all that stuff with this software. And I kind of um, liken this to the zero, what zero's done in the accounting Whoa. space? Yes, yes. You, know, you look, think that's it's a new zero? I think it's a potential zero in this okay. space. And and the chap that's running this, the CEO, is actually X zero and X Virgin as well. So we've got okay. that combination of you know being in zero and being in that sort of travel uh, focused industry. So um, I wouldn't count this one out. I'm not a buy at this stage, but it is one right. I'm going to watch very very closely. Okay. I think it's got massive massive potential down the track.
1: All right. Okay, let's recap the first five stocks. Um, um, stock of the day, Collins Food. A no from Claude, a hold from uh, from Carl. Uh, Drop Sweet, a uh, speculative buy from Carl. A no from Claude. Uh, GUD, uh, Carl says, yes, if you want a bit of a boring stock for you, but uh, for older investors, for their self-managed super fund that needs a good dividend yield, a yes A no from Claude. Uh, step one, Claudia, a no from both Superloop, a no from uh, Carl, but uh, Claude thinks it's really interesting at these levels. Uh, and a yes from him, Sightminder, a no from both um, going on um, uh, Carl's watch list. Claude reckons, take your money and run after this big increase. Um, here at The Call, we've been following our own fantasy portfolio since the 1st of July last year, thanks to our partner, Nabtrade. Any stocks that gets two two thumbs up from our expert panel goes into the portfolio. If it comes up again, doesn't get unanimous approval or a hold, um, it goes out. Uh, let's see how it's been performing for the week. Down two percent for the month. Up half a percent. Almost seven and a half percent up since the first of July of this year. Uh, since inception, first uh, uh, of July last year, up. Forty-five percent. Some of the stocks recently added, Top Shelf International, Globe, Atlas, Ulterior, uh, Virtus Health and Brambles. Some of the stocks that have gone out are Tomos, Babcorp, Harvey Norman and Southern Cross Media. You can check out all the ETFs and stocks in the Calls portfolio. Head to ozbiz.co forward slash portfolio. having an SMSF is hard? Well, think again. Set up your own SMSF completely online with Stake Super and invest your super with freedom. There's no paperwork and Stake does all the admin. You just focus on the investing. Um, Carl, Chris wants a view on Medical Developments International. They deliver emergency medical solutions. Their most famous is the green stick, isn't it? Which is instant pain relief that a lot of paramedics and ambulance take around. Um, Bit of insider buying uh, from the board over the recent couple of weeks. What do you think of Medical Developments?
2: Yeah, look, they've got the uh, the green whistle as they call it on Bondi Rescue. My kids uh, love that show. So anytime <laughs> somebody puts a shoulder out of whack, they uh, you get on the green whistle there, and they're pretty happy, pretty happy until they get to the hospital. Um, yeah, look, it's an interesting business. Uh, you know, it's one of those ones. You know. Aussie sort of tech healthcare story. You really wanted to succeed, but they really haven't got a great deal of traction up to this point. I mean, you haven't just you haven't seen that earnings growth come through that we'd like to see to give you the confidence uh, in the business going forward. It wasn't a great year in FY21, Koshi. Um, obviously, with lockdowns, people aren't going out as much to the beach, uh, although having said that, I know in the middle of your lockdowns uh, we're getting pictures over here at birth of Bondi packed with people, so maybe uh-huh, I'm wrong uh-huh. on that one. Um, but, you know, in theory, bigger picture here, uh, New Zealand and in Europe, um, you know, less demand for asthma spaces, which is the other thing they do, and obviously the green whistle um, to the point where, you know, a bit of a train wreck in terms of their financials, um, They're they're. Uh, the big hope is that they're going to get into the US. So they've, um, they've done phase one, phase two over there. There was a hiccup with phase three. They've been going backwards and forwards with the FDA, trying to get it sorted out, trying to get the protocols right for the phase three trials. They've got another chat uh, I think they're chatting uh, as we speak, sort of thing, and then we're going to get some idea on what's going on in January uh, 2022. So, look, if that comes good, that might be a catalyst for a bit of a re-rating the share price. I mean, the price has ticked up recently, looking at the chart. So, yeah, it's it's not awful. We've moved off that 350 level. You know, this was 11 bucks not that mm. long ago, down to 350. Um, it has moved back to five. It's kind of at an inflection point on the technicals, which I think reflects. My, my view on the fundamentals we're kind of 50 50 where do we go from here so let's let's rely on those technicals let's kind of put the fundamentals aside and say because they're 50 50 let's let the market decide so if the money comes in for this then probably it's going to be good uh and that would be a move i'd say sort of above 535 to 540 and then i think you know if you're a true believer jump on board uh if it breaks below say 460 it looks really bad for a potential move back down to those lows okay. so look at the past for me at this point in time but at least you've got a roadmap on on how to mm. trade it if you're already in it
1: yeah look at that 11 bucks um, at, at one stage um, Claude what do you think about medi- medical developments
0: well I actually am already in this one and then I do own a small uh, holding and I think the last time I talked about the stock uh, on the call it was actually pretty much about the same price before the recent dip down yeah. uh, so the, the story for me is really about these green whistles these Penthrox devices they are really great for that emergency medicine kind of need and there's a huge upside just in europe in terms of growing that now there's going to be a bit more short-term pain um i guess although the the short-term pains lasted so long that it's a bit of a misnomer they but there's the going to be a whistle. little bit more
2: they need the green whistle yeah,
0: yeah they do <laughs> they certainly do but uh the the um In Europe, they've taken back their distribution agreement uh, with Mundi Pharma, which is going to end up costing, well not costing them, it's going to reduce that revenue from Mundi Pharma in the next, in this current year. So they've got a lot of work to do to make up that fact. And look, the initial signs are good. They said they've got record sales in in, um, France now, and they would hope now on a growth trajectory in Europe. But this FY22 could still be pretty ugly. now. What they did in their most recent absolute train wreck results as Carl put it which is fair enough and i love that kind of you know being frank about things even as a shareholder they were like riding off past mistakes to me i think i said at the time you know they've taken out the trash and it gets better from here now look so far that looks true but there could be more trash to take out we'll find out but basically look all we really need to do from here is to get that um penetration of the european market going at anywhere near the kind of levels it is in Australia, and we're going to be really laughing. However, the super uh, blue sky upside in the potential future is getting um, FDA approval in, a, in America. Unfortunately, this is extremely complicated because many years ago this uh, exact drug was sort of taken off the lists in the US because if you have sort of too much of it for too long, I think it can do, do damage to your kidneys or something like that. Now that's not something they're finding with the green whistles which is sort of a new dosage system and and it it seems to be really safe and you know australia's been using it without a problem for many years and and so look that's the real blue sky upside that's why i do own some shares already because you know basically it's asymmetric it's definitely risky but it's super asymmetric because if that ever comes through in a couple of years then it's probably going to go back to eleven dollars or something like that
1: would you buy now
0: yeah, look, I would. I did buy okay. it around current prices, actually. Right. And, but only a small risky one. You know, just keep in mind it's a risky long-term bet. And people think you're stupid for years and then you get, you know, <laughs> two or three bags out of sure. it and, and then you finally pay off. Okay. All right. If it works.
1: Uh, Greg uh, wants a view on Kelsian Group. Uh, Greg, you stumped me. I thought I have never, ever heard of Kelsian in my life until I had a bit of a look and c has uh, changed their name to Kelsian. and of course uh, uh, the transport group into into ferries and um, uh, barges uh, they started out with the ferry across to kangaroo island years and years ago now 80 percent of its revenue comes from uh, from buses it bought a big bus business about 10 or 15 years ago it includes transport in the uk um claude what do you think of uh of Kelsey and group as an opening uh, play, formerly Sea Link?
0: Uh, Look, yeah, so probably for me, um, I liked this one better when it was uh, this sort of initial uh, Sea Link kind of business uh, because I thought, you know, with all of those ferry routes, they have Monopoly routes in a lot of them. I think they had
1: Captain Cook's
0: Cruises as well, which is not Monopoly, but they did have a lot of... uh, you know, even Captain Cook Cruises a finite market. You can only have so many boats with all those really attractive birds. So basically I really like that very business and I thought that was really good. However, for me, I see this move into bus and I think light rail. I see it overall as, you know, probably especially the bus stuff, diversification. And so You know, for that reason, even though the share price has come down a fair bit later, if you'd talked to me probably, you know, at a certain point, I would have sort of said, oh, 2.6% yield, 25 times earnings, not too bad for Kelsey and formerly ceiling. But, you know, right now, I just think that, you know, I think a lot of the recovery has been priced into stocks, even even though the travel recovery hasn't happened, especially in Australia. If you see Webjet and Flight Centre, there's been a big rebound on those tourism stocks so for me it's still probably in a void we still don't know really when our international travelers will bounce back massively but anyway that's probably not such a big deal for these guys anymore so for me i just think it's too messy it's too capital intensive and so for me it's just not the kind of business i'm going to invest in
2: carl yeah, it's when Claude said capital intensive, I straight away looked at the ROE line, the return on equity, and sort of about 10 to 12%, so it's not bad, it's um, just a little bit above market average there. So, uh, But yeah, look, it's one of those big capital intensive uh, businesses. Uh, Claude mentions that the um, maybe not so much upside from a return to normal travel, about 30% of their EBITDA comes from that sort of more discretionary stuff. So uh, your Captain kick, Cook cruises some of their um, their resorts as well. But, yeah, the bread and butter, look, you know, um, 60% of revenue is your buses. Um, in fact, it's more than 82% of revenue and about 61% of EBITDA. So they have transformed themselves recently. Uh, Koshi, did you... I mean, I'm, I'm the same as you. I thought I had no idea what this was no. and then realized it was uh, Ceiling. And they've just changed, they've changed S, uh, was it, SLK to KLS. Yep. <laughs> um, I'm baffled. There's no explanation in any of the company's materials as to why they did it or what Kelsey means. Okay, and I
1: get why, a, why they. Um, I read a uh, quote from the managing director that said because 80% of their re- revenue comes from buses. Uh, in a company called C Link. It was a bit confusing. That that's No, I the get that, but operate.
2: what's Kelsian? What's Kelsian? Yeah. Oh, no. Anyway, we could debate It that. looks we'll like an anagram we'll C Link. It's, a, it's an it?
0: anagram, anagram from C Link. From the looks of oh, it, it cannot yeah, be
2: that ah. C yeah, Link. Kelsey Who got is paid? an which anagram. Ma- which marketing, which marketing I mean, department, yeah. got <laughs> department got paid for that? Uh, we we digress. I better get to the. I better get to the point. Look, I think there's a really great underlying business there, uh, and we actually had a buy on this about three months ago, and we we have been wrong on it. And the reason why is that in uh, early October it might have been they missed out on getting a Melbourne bus contract, which we all all the analysts thought it was a lock, and then uh, just uh, last week they missed out on a Sydney. Uh, Big Sydney. I uh, was at Region Nine. It might have been. Yeah, it was. All right. Um, so th- those two things were were absolutely baked into the price because we thought they were a lock And um, was it an electric vehicle um, operator got the one maybe in Melbourne? Uh, but these guys are expanding into electric um, buses as well. Look, uh, long story short, I, I like it. There's a great business there. I, look, I think there's enough in it to hold it if you've got it, right. um, because the valuation is still good despite that. Really resilient earnings through COVID, and maybe the reason why they've gone to buses is to just you know just 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 get that resilience. So um, a reasonable yield, a reasonable valuation, fair value target of 7.35. So I think there's enough upside to definitely hold it. The chart is a train wreck because of what I've discussed, so I don't think it's a buy yet. Okay,
1: All right. Uh, Darren Carl wants to be on Resolute Mining. Darren says uh, it hasn't been at this price since 2015. What's going on here? Um, Resolute share price down 30% since August. Uh, Their last update was a bit... Disappointing too, was a Production down, yield down. Um, Carl, what do you think of Resolute, the gold miner?
2: Yeah, Pro- production down on uh, lower yields and yeah. uh, costs up. And costs up yeah. quite significant, actually. So I uh, put those together. It's gone from actually being um, quite a high-margin miner to actually quite a marginal miner. So it does become more dependent on the gold price. Now, I haven't seen the hedge book, honestly, so I can't speak to what their hedging is. But looking, I guess, more than the hedge book out, um, it will become that way unless they can get costs back on track. Now, there is a chance uh, for that because they do have some uh, big upgrades planned at their Siama mine, uh, but they have been sort of pushing that off due to wet season. Long story short, um, you know, as you say, uh, production is falling, yields are uh, falling and costs are going up. And that's what the market is responding to amongst, uh, of course, the fact that we've lost uh, three or four key Key management board positions right. oh, over okay. the last 12 months. So, what's you know kind of what's going on there? Uh, they do have a very good uh, mine in uh, it's called Mako. That's in uh, Ghana, uh, and that is performing very well. But it's the uh, the other one um, that is not doing so well. Uh, just looking at the the um, the numbers. Um, Typically, these gold miners have really sort of solid cash flows. This one is, um, it has fallen a little bit on hard times in that regard. Um, We, again, what the market is responding to, we've got a fair value target based upon what we think they will earn when they're they're still going to make money, I think, Um, they're they're probably going to lose money once this FY is completed at the end of December 30. But I think they will swing back to a profit in FY22 and then 23 and 24, not so bad. But I I still think there's some downside here. We've got a a fair value target based upon those cash flows of 31 cents. Um, So there's still a little bit downside. So you know, it's all about you think. Okay, stock was uh, was was a dollar not that long ago. Now it's 30 cents. It must be cheap. And we call this the value trap. There's a reason why the price is there. Mm. The reason why it's Top, uh, top left, bottom right on the chart. It's because analysts like me are crunching the numbers and saying, "Well, it's just not worth as much as what yep. it was 12 or 18 months ago. It's worth what it's worth now, and that's that's what, where the demand supply mm-hmm. comes from. The chart's terrible. Uh, yep. I can't buy it." Okay, Claude.
0: Uh, well, look, I think that Carl said it really well, so it's hard yep. to struggle to add anything much on that. Uh, look, the, there's no rule that means that a company has to create value for shareholders. Often they don't, especially mining companies. And look, these guys are. You know, they've lost money the last three years. And I looked at their presentation and not once did the word profit appear. So, uh, mm. you know, it doesn't seem like a very good okay. company, even for a miner. All
1: right. Uh, Steve wants a view, Cordon on Experience Co. This is a, a tourism operator in adventure tourism. Uh, Great Barrier Reef snorkeling, helicopter tours, diving tours, hot air ballooning. Um, Steve says, uh, looks like sensible management, clear vision, reduced debt prior to COVID should bounce back well. Uh, I've got a, bought a small amount in March and thinking of adding a bit more to it. Uh, would you, Claude? I think their managing director was an ex-Boss uh, of Tourism Australia, which is uh, uh, so he's pretty well credentialed.
0: Yeah, so I'm not quite sure uh, the tenure of the current managing director, but I'm guessing that it's not so long. Uh, in terms of the, like, I think the, our questioner said they bought in March 2020. Look, I think that by, if we look at the chart, is a real massive lows. Like, that's really buying the panic, and that's worked out really well, um, basically. But the longer-term history of this business is that it got started at Skydive Australia, and it owns yeah. skydiving sites. And these are quasi-monopolies, right? So no one bothers to set up a Well, very rarely does someone bother to set up a competing skydive business right at the same spot where you're operating your skydive business. So these can be kind of good businesses. And if you own a bunch of different monopoly businesses all over over the place, that really sets you up to have a great quality business and grow long term. And at that stage, I think they floated about 25 cents or something like this. This was years ago. And then what they did is they did a big roll up of different businesses and including whitewater rafting and uh, the Great Barrier Reef experiences, one that they still have and all of this sort of stuff. And then it all just underperformed. And we're talking even before COVID, this thing was crashing down real bad, right? And then it basically became a net tangible asset play for uh, value investors because it was looking so ugly that it got so cheap that I guess the market was pricing in a chance of bankruptcy as you'd expect with, you know, the COVID and everything. So... There's a, there was like, this was a value investment that's rebounded really strongly. Like, that thesis has played out. I'd say, you know, well done for having the guts to buy that really ugly looking company at a really ugly looking moment. And now it's looking a lot better, of course. That's great. Well done. That doesn't necessarily mean that, like, it's a good buy now at 30 cents. What I would expect is we're going to see the whole cycle again. They've started buying things again, they started buying Trees Adventure uh, yep. recently, which is, you know, a, a new business to add to their collection. I think we're going to see them probably keep buying again now, do exactly what they did before and then we'll have to see if they get it right this time. Last time they got it wrong and they end up selling some of those businesses. Okay. So that's why their revenue is actually lower than it was a few years ago. But none of that su- suggests that this is some sort of high quality competitive advantage business. What this is is a roll up of tourism businesses and I think that overall the people selling them those businesses are going to get the better of them, okay. especially since they'll
1: know Uh, those businesses. Okay, so I know from you, uh, Carl, we'll need to pick up the pace a bit, running a a bit
2: out of time. Yeah, no worries, do this one quite quickly. Um, Look, I, I agree with Claude, yeah, it's a roll up and maybe back in the sort of mid uh, teens not a great idea to to do that given um where where things were but hey we're we just had a pandemic and some of these businesses are really struggling and probably going to go pretty cheap so the fact that um the experience car has a really strong balance sheet very very little debt cash in the bank It's probably an opportune time to go fishing for some of these businesses, um, no pun intended. Uh, And they are focusing more on the sort of the domestic side, stuff you can drive to, stuff we don't need international tourists for. So um, so, some diversification in the business is going to be good. They are heavily dependent, of course, on a reopening, on us getting back to normal, not as much as, um, as they were, say, you know, six to 12 months ago on the international dollar, as I said. So there's a lot... I think there's a lot to like there. I think this is one of those reopening plays, but it doesn't come without, I think at least moderate, potentially significant risk. The valuation we have is about 40 cents, so that gives you a little bit of upside. Obviously, there's no dividend. It's it's nothing more than a speculative buy. Again, for um, it's a risk risk money bet, but it's not one of those sort of long-term self-managed okay. stocks for me. Uh,
1: and just quickly, our, our final stock, uh, Carl, Jim wants on Credit Corp, the uh, financial group who's uh, just bought radio rentals.
2: Yeah, they did. Um, And interesting, yeah, beauty's in the eye of the beholder, isn't it, on that one? I Uh guess uh, Thorne struggled with it for a long time. Uh, but that's what Credit Corp are kind of good at doing. They're good at uh, buying stuff. They're very shrewd, whether they're buying, you know, a sort of a, a block of debt or whatever yep. it might be, or a business. They, you know, look, we, we keep cycling, I think, between maybe businesses, businesses which might be good as a speculative buy and the businesses which are, are good for your self one. I think this one falls into that second category. So it's big, okay. it's boring. But I think there's some value here. We've got a target of about 35.20, so about 7 8% upside. You've got about a 2 2.5% yield. So total shareholder return, I think is going to be pretty good. And you've got that sleep at night factor. It's backed up by a really solid chart. So I think the market kind of agrees with me as well, and that de-risks yeah. it to a large extent. So oh, look, I'm happy okay. to buy it here, but Koshi, again, for that long-term self-managed sleep at night investor.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: That's why it's in my self-managed super fund. Um, there you go. Uh, Claude?
0: I'd, I'd call it a hold based on just the fact that it seems to be the best managed of these debt collector companies. Um, sure. But otherwise, it's not a business I would usually like be interested in investing in. But these guys have sort of shown it over the long term. They do pretty well.
1: Terrific. All right, Claude, Claude Walker from A Rich Life. Uh, great to see you, mate.
0: Thanks. Thanks for Ka- having me. It's been
1: Carl Capolinga from ThinkMarket. It's always a pleasure having you with your insights as well. Thank you, Tim. Always fun, Koshi uh good enjoy the rest of the week um hey that's it for us for today if you've got any stocks you'd uh, oh let's go through the final five stocks good reminder medical development a yes from claude no from carl Kelsian, um which is um the um, um sky uh no sea link rather the renamed sea link uh, a hold from uh, from uh, Carl, a no from Claude. Resolute Mining, a no from both. Uh, Experience Co, a no from Claude, but Carl sees it as a good speculative buy. Uh, Credit Corp, a hold from Claude and from Carl, uh, one of those good, boring stocks to have in a self-managed super fund. Uh, if you'd like us to look at any stocks for me to put them to our expert panel, put them in an email at the call at osbiz.com.au or tweet us using the at Ausbiz TV handle. See all the stocks and ETFs in the calls portfolio. Head to osbiz.co forward slash portfolio.
2: Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership.